Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Messed Up listeners? Back here for episode number 29 of the Messed Up Podcast. I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the Subway series that just wrapped up this weekend. A little unconventional, a little weird. We had, you know, the one game on Saturday because we got rained out on Friday. Then we had the doubleheader Sunday. So the Mets only played, I think, 23 innings over three days, which ended up probably being a good thing for us, especially with how many games we got coming up and all our pitching situation here. But the Mets end up winning this series. That's the big thing here. The Mets win the Subway series. We were feeling good. We're feeling great. All the stuff that we were worried about before this series seemingly went away. The offense showed up. The pitching was still good. The bullpen was still good. The Mets legitimately played baseball for a good series against a team in the Yankees that, while they are struggling, is considered to be one of the better teams on paper in Major League Baseball. So me and James are going to go through the entire series, give you guys the breakdown of all the games, our thoughts and opinions, what we were thinking. Of course, if you're listening to us, make sure you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube, look up Mets Up Podcast, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Mets Up as well. We're doing great stuff over there. James, how are you feeling after this Subway Series victory? I feel awesome. Big victory, Subway Series. It kind of happened very quickly, just considering... Uh, the Friday rainout and then the double heather on the Fourth of July. That was it's Fourth of July. Like Fourth of July is a big day. Everyone barbecues, beers, party in the pool. Like things are happening. It was like a, I don't know. It was like a Fast and Furious series. You know, I mean, two days to play three games. And while that's not something that we haven't dealt with this year, the Mets are going to be the kings of double headers this year. I think we have five it, already. Yeah, we played so many, and I, we have a lot more coming too at some point. It just felt like ripping a band-aid off but in a good way where it was like all right we're good we're ready to go because the Mets really did show up and it started with game one here big news though Brandon Nimmo back and boy does Brandon Nimmo just make this offense completely different I mean this guy we we've always talked about how good Nimmo is and he doesn't get enough respect around the league he's just casually like one of the best eyes in the league gets on base he's hitting better than he ever has he's cut down on strikeouts he was having a really good start to the year and we'd missed him He's back, and he changed everything. It's crazy how one guy can literally make this offense start clicking. Especially when that one guy is your leadoff hitter, who, as you said, has one of the best eyes in the league. And just immediately on Saturday afternoon, Brandon Nimmo was just on base, on base, on base, on base. He had two runs scored in the first five innings. Yeah, like, we don't score runs. The Mets probably haven't scored two runs in the first five innings in a month and a half. Well, yeah, we were talking about it last episode. We can hit relievers. We seemingly don't hit starters. And we got two runs in the first five innings. That's like, it's not good by any means. But for the Mets offense that has been, you know, limping to the finish line here, the all-star break, that was big for us to get those runs early. Fucking leadoff, Heather, man. Like, we 
had talked about how great we liked VR in the leadoff hole, and then McNeil came back there as a guy who had been there previously over the last few years, and he immediately came off the IL. But Nimmo is so much different. It's crazy that this was even an argument a couple of months ago, like during the offseason, which it feels like a lifetime ago at this point, that who was going to hit leadoff for the Mets, because there's no question it should be Brandon Nimmo. Now, tomorrow, the next day, forever. Until he has another freak injury that keeps him out three times as long as expected. Brandon Nemo has to be in the leadoff hall. Yeah, anytime he's playing, he's hitting number one. I'm, I remember the Mets used to hit him nine. Remember that? They would hit him nine a little bit. Like, he is the the piece that keeps this offense moving forward. He gets it started. He gets on base. It's comparable to, like, when the Mets had Jose Reyes during those great years, and they always talked about, like, Jose Reyes getting on base and scoring in the first inning. The Mets' record was incredibly good. And that's kind of what Brandon Nimmo's taking here. He doesn't have the speed, obviously, of Reyes, but he has a better ability to get on base than him. He's going to score more. He's a fantastic base runner. And with the way that this lineup is built, we can get this guy moving. We can get in runs early and put pressure on teams with our good starting pitching. That can be a huge difference maker. It's funny how you called him a good base runner, and he made the worst base running play of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty horrible, but he like genuinely like he cuts the bases well. He's, he runs the bases well. He got a little excited. He he heard there was vaccinations on second base. He was not interested. Yeah. I've had this take that I've given to you off the record. I'll just say it now because I think it's kind of funny. What if Brandon Nimmo is always hurt for too long because he just refuses modern medicine? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think it's like weirdly <laughs> possible that he's just like not, not interested, which is also strange because I'm pretty sure his wife is like a nurse. She so, is, like, but yeah. You know, you would think that she would get into his head there and be like, Brandon, I'm telling you, this medicine, it's good for you. But Or the, or the opposite has happened, but whatever. Maybe, like, Brandon would just have never gotten, like, a cortisone shot. He refuses the PRP injections. <laughs> he, th- he, doesn't, he doesn't like splints because he wants to keep his finger straight on its own. He'll just, like, sit there the last two months just, like, holding his index finger up like this. Just, yes. I got it. I think I got it. I really think I got it. But listen, whatever he does, I don't care because the dude is good. He's probably... The best offensive player on our team? Is, is that crazy to say? In terms of WRC+, plus, he is. At least he has been even over the last couple of years. I wouldn't say he's a better offensive player than Pete or Lindor because I think those two guys do differently, different things better than Brandon Nimmo. But I love Brandon Nimmo. I've been saying Brandon Nimmo's praises every episode that he's been a part of this podcast, offseason to you, privately, with my family, my friends. I love this guy. He's such a good baseball player. He's one of the most underrated guys in all of baseball. He exemplifies what the modern hitter is supposed to be in a way. Where we, he has power, he gets on base, he does strike out but not an astronomical amount, and he stays in every at-bat. And he's really cut down those strikeouts this year. like, And even last year a little bit too, we saw the strikeouts get cut down. Put out a tweet on the Mets up Twitter, yet, or I guess this was actually on game one because Nimmo was playing so well. And that over his last 162, which weirdly dates all the way back to 2018 because the short seasons and being injured... He's a 258 average, 406 on base, 436 slugging to give him an 842 OPS, 18 homers, 27 RBIs, or no, 18 homers, 27 doubles, 111 walks to 149 strikeouts. We talk about extending Conforto. It's time to extend Nimmo. Like this guy, keep him around. He's our corner outfielder for the future. And you're at the point this offseason where he still will not be very expensive because he's ar- he's arbitration eligible. He's going to be free agent after next season, 2023 free agent, correct? Let's take a look at that real quick. Oh, yes, I have it. I have it. Oh, you do? I, okay. I just, I just said it conversationally. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to be free agent 2023 season. So he still is going to ride out his last year of arbitration this year. Since he's only going to wind up this season with anywhere from like 
80 to 100 games played, not including the playoffs, his rates are not going to be crazy. So you can buy out his next year and the year after at an affordable price and then probably get him for a couple years into his 30s without breaking the bank, especially not paying for what Conforto is going to be based on the counting stats he's accrued over the last couple of seasons. And at this point, Nimmo just does so much more for this team, especially if he's going to be playing center field, which we know he's not great there, but he's serviceable. He's fine. Good enough to send Almora down, which is something we predicted. And that is inherently valuable to the way this lineup is going to work because we don't have anyone who can play good defense in center and hit well. So I'd rather have a guy with an elite bat, and that's what Brandon Nimmo brings. Yes, if he was an average bat, this would be a problem, his defense in center field. But because he is so plus at the plate, you can look past his defensive you know, liability out there. He's, he's doing a fine job, as you said. Like I haven't felt at any point this year like, man, this guy stinks out there. But you also don't watch him and go, hey, you know, there's Byron Buxton out in center field. Like it's just it's not that kind of player, but his offense allows that to happen. We also got some big offense from Dom Smith, who had a big series in general, but in game one, three hits, three RBIs. He's heating up a little bit, Dom. He's really, really, really heating up. Dom seems to look more comfortable at the plate when he plays first. It was it's... interesting that Keith mentioned immediately, like in his first at bat, he goes, Dom looks ready to hit today. And Dom was ready to hit all series. Keith loves Dom because Dom is the defensive first baseman that Keith thinks is the most important position in baseball. Like most people think about like catcher, shortstop, center field, like those are where you have to be strong. Keith's like, no, you gotta be strong in the corners. <laughs> you gotta be strong. And he has like this like soft spot is hard for him, but it is different. Like you watch Dominic Smith play when he's at first base, also playing in the band box of Yankee Stadium. Dominic Smith would be an MVP if he played there every single day. He can put the ball wherever he wants in that ballpark for some reason. And he was comfortable there last year, too. It, he always it, plays well at Yankee Stadium, as he should. He's a lefty in a Little League ballpark where he could hit the ball 225 feet to right field and you get a home run. I think you made a joke on Twitter about, was that his home run? Where you're like, Dom hits a bomb, the longest home run I've ever seen. Just like, yes, first yeah, row. I was, I was like, crush it, never seen a ball go this far in Yankee Stadium. Like, even with Pete, like, later in the series, I was like, crushed it, moonshot. Like, these balls are so, I think Dom's home run, like, had an expected batting average at one point in the series of, like, 180. Like, we were just getting some real cheapos to right field. There was a tweet going around on All-Star Game uh, voting day about Cedric Mullins, and he plays in Camden Yards, which is a band box in and of itself. And his expected home runs, if all of his batted balls happened in Yankee Stadium, were, like, seven more than the actual 13 or 14 he had at the time. Yeah, he would be an MVP goes, candidate. <laughs> yeah, which he might be anyway if he didn't play for the Dutch Orioles. But it just goes to show that we can get this team into a ballpark like Yankee Stadium and good things are going to happen. Because the other big thing that was the other big time hitter on Saturday was Lindor. And it was so beautiful to see one, two, and three in this order getting on base every single time over these first five innings. They just put the game away immediately before it even really started. Yeah, no, they got out early. They looked super comfortable. Lindor, his at-bats have been getting a lot better. His numbers haven't moved a ton yet still. He's still they're inching. They're inching. They're inching, yes. They're inching. He's not getting this like huge bump that we saw Dom get this weekend. But he looks just like a significantly better hitter. Like This looks like Lindor is the player that we're going to get now, where it's like, there's that bounce swing. He's pulling the ball a little bit more. He's not giving us these like crappy little... like fly flares to left field that like for some reason he was doing early in the year he looks a lot more comfortable looks like the player that we thought we were going to get he's just a good baseball player I don't think that I don't want to say I don't think we're ever going to see like 35 40 homer Francisco Lindor again because that could happen he, he he's his talent's proven to oscillate even in the past but 
you knew, I think, when you traded for him that you weren't getting like a middle of the order power bat. You were just getting an all-around baseball player. You were going to get a guy with play discipline, a guy who could get timely hits, a guy who's going to play exceptional defense, even though he did make that bad error the other day. That was yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah, game two. Game two. All the bad plays in game two got so washed away. It's, so washed away. <laughs> we'll amazing. talk about that in a few minutes, but wow. I forgot all these bad plays even happened. It's great. But Francisco Lindor is a solid baseball player. He is. And we're all confident that that is the guy. I think maybe some people were mis- just misunderstood the exact type of player he was going to be, a type of player he could be. Even though he can show flashes that, and he will in the future, but this is what he is. A couple singles, a couple doubles, a couple walks, could be good defense. Here's a home run there. There's a home run there. It's not a double. Base hit, ninth inning, win the game, win the game, win the game, win the game. We won this game. Yeah, I think Lindor also got a little bit of a like tough like rep in that like people were already deeming him as like an MVP candidate. And let's be honest, like we saw Francisco Lindor season in Cleveland, which are probably gonna be some of the best that he ever has. Like just those were really, really good years. And he wasn't even Yeah, offensively, and he wasn't an MVP guy really then. So to call him like the MVP and give him that kind of like pressure right off the bat, he was almost set up to fail because he just wasn't going to be the best player in the National League. That's not the kind of player Lindor is, but he is going to be really good, and we're starting to see glimpses of it, which is nice. McNeil, a guy who has been looking lost at the plate, seemingly starting to figure it out again. Nice little two hits in game one. The thing about McNeil is that even as he's trying to like shake out of this funk, there's still no power whatsoever. It seems like he has gone through like an identity crisis over the last few years where he was not like a slap hitter, but he was mostly a singles hitter, a high average guy when he came up. And he was very successful doing that. And then he made a couple tweaks. Looks like he took uh, he took his forward out and was like golfing the ball, driving it, found the power while still maintaining a 300-ish average. But if you look at that season 2019, there was a sharp split where he was a high average guy and suddenly became a power guy. And the average dropped, but it was so high to start that it seemed like he married the two, which turned out just to be untrue. And he's been, it seems like he's been lost in between those two guys since then. So maybe he's just getting it back to the basics now. He's just going to find hits, be able to place the ball like something he was doing well. And I'm hoping this is just the first step for him of regaining his stroke. Yeah, like I would love McNeil to go back to being that 20 home run guy, but I don't know if that's legitimately possible for him to be playing his best because this year it seems like he had been a little power heavy. And even last year when he struggled at the beginning of the year, if you remember like during um, like when they were doing all the the fake games at City Field, like once coronavirus stuff kind of started to cool off a little bit before the season and they were showing like the bombs he was hitting and we're like, ooh, is Jeff McNeil going to be able to hit like 25 home runs this year? But that clearly like he sacrifices the average, which is like, what he's best at. So I'm glad to see him going back a little bit to the basics. Yes, I would prefer to see more pop out of his bat, but I want to see the 300 Jeff McNeil. We get the other thing that's extra really at this point. I just want to see his mechanics align again. It just I want him to take like good hacks on a regular basis. And he does it sometimes, but you can still see moments where the shoulder flies out, he steps in the bucket, he still does a thing with two strikes where he'll start running down the line basically. It just seems like he needs to just like focus all of his kinetic energy, just be calm, relaxed, and we're getting there. We're not there, we're getting there. And I think it's a good thing, and we predicted this last week, that moving him down the order would take some pressure off and allow him to just focus up a little more and take some of the heat off of himself. 
Yeah, and that's like even the bigger part of having Nemo is you ha now have that guy. You have your top of the order set. You can move McNeil down a little bit more. Not only takes the pressure off him, lengthens the lineup even more, which we saw in this game. And we got to talk about bench mob a little bit here because Jose Peraza, while his numbers, Keith said it, he's a sneaky like 650 OPS guy. Like, yes, he has a 650 OPS. That's not good. No. But he gets big hits. Like, his hits have all been huge this year. Definitely, and I feel like he's a guy who stays in every at-bat. Like, one of his calling cards as he was a big-time prospect, and while he had a couple good years with the Reds, was he never struck out. Never, ever, ever. He wasn't really a big walk guy, but he would not end in at-bat looking foolish. And he's continued on that grind this year, and he just fights pitches off, so he finds something to hit. He had a big double on Saturday afternoon. He had the biggest hit of the game on... Oh, that was on Sunday, yesterday, the Fourth of July. I love I love Peraza in the nine hole. It's really it's a pleasure that we have so much infield depth that we've just been able to go through this whole stretch. And the fact that we're talking about all of these guys right now and the way we're talking about them is such a privilege considering where we were even a month ago. We're talking about Jeff McNeil taking bad at bats. We're talking about how much of a difference Brandon Nimmo is making. We're talking about how good Francisco Lindor has been. How, the power that Dom Smith is showing. We've come so far. It's really full circle. Like, we're back to the team that we expected, and they played well, and they smacked around the Bronx Bombers. The hitting was great. Taiwan Walker was good. Definitely good still. Yeah, it, he was fine. It was the worst no-hitter I've seen since Edwin Jackson. He just, like, couldn't put anybody away. No, he... And that makes perfect sense, because he only had six whiffs the entire outing, which is, like, again, shockingly low for a guy who didn't allow a hit for five innings. A testament to the Mets' defense. It's also a testament to how good his two-seamer continues to be. Because, wow, he was dialing that thing up inside, outside, high, low. Ten called strikes on the pitch. It got his CSW rate over 30 for the game, which is crazy because he only had six whiffs. Slider was his most whiff pitch with three. Nothing. But he's a bulldog. He battled. He didn't have good stuff, which, again, hilarious to say because uh, there was no hitter going on through five innings. But he just did it. He put the ball where he needed to do it. He found a way to keep the Yankees' offense completely down. I don't want to say he kept the Mets in the game because we actually had offense for him, so he kept us ahead by a comfortable margin because the Yankees are trash. And really, we just got to get this man to Denver. It's the only thing that I'm worried about this week. Yeah, he's got to be an all-star. I don't understand how he didn't make the team. Like, you, Darvish is obviously a better pitcher, but this year he's not better than Taiwan Walker. There's a couple guys that made that roster that I go, there's just there's no way that they should be picked over him. There's also a fleet of National League pitchers who didn't make this team, who are all like exceptional. Pablo Lopez didn't make the team. The guy's ERA is in the high two. Same with Sandy Al Alcantara. I saw the big tweet this morning. I forgot. Walker Bueller didn't make the All-Star team. He has gone, I believe, it's six innings in every single start this year. He's the new well, ace of the Dodgers. Like You kind of get screwed with this rule of you have to have one representative from every team because the Rockies' representative was Herman Marquez. Um the Miami Marlins, I mean, Trevor Rogers deserved to be on the All-Star team, I think, too. He's been having a great year. But, like, the Marlins have to get one. I just named like, you two Marlins who should have been on the team who are not. Yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> saying, like, it's just funny that, like, the guys, there's some spots that, like, physically have to go to somebody, and they're usually just going to default to a pitcher. But also, like, a team like, I guess, Wheeler from the Phillies, the Braves, Acuna, the Nationals. Who even was the Nationals guy? The Nationals was uh, Schwarber and Soto. Not even Turner? And, and, and Turner, and Trey Turner. Oh, okay. Which, by the way, I think it's worth noting that the Mets are in first place and have one all-star and like the Rangers have three, the Pirates have two, the Nationals have three, the Phillies have three or two with uh, Wheeler and JT Ramuto, who does not deserve to be on the team oh, whatsoever. having a bad year. 
Yeah, I mean, for his standards, he's still technically fine, but, like, he doesn't deserve to be on the All-Star team. There's such weird picks for some of these spots. Like, even Mookie Betts didn't deserve to be on the All-Star team, in my opinion, this year. Some weird guys, but Taiwan screwed. The other part that sucks from the Mets' perspective here is that Jacob DeGrom is only All-Star, and there's no way he pitches in the game because he's going yeah. to pitch this Sunday against the Pirates. Can, and to be move? honest, I don't want him pitching in the All-Star game. No, of course not, but we need. Re- I want representation in the game. Like, goddamn, Mets are in first place. Like, when DeGrom's spot gets replaced, that has to be either Taiwan or Edwin Diaz. It has to be. has to be one of those two. I agree. Yeah. I think we can mostly put Game 1 to bed now. Just a few more notes. Uh, Castro, as of Saturday afternoon, continued to be lost. Yes. It's funny that our relievers are just like a sliding scale. Like, we can never get everyone grooving right now since Castro and May had the the great April together at the same time. Like, Castro was up and May is down. And now May is up and Castro is down. There's some thought that Ron was saying that Castro might be tipping his pitches. So I think that's something to keep an eye out for. He goes, they just seem to not ever swing at the slider anymore. And he goes, and it's filthy, it's moving. He goes, just no one falls for it. He goes, so maybe he's tipping something. Maybe they're able to tell out of his hand it's coming. I don't know, something to keep an eye out for, for sure. Familia cleaned up his mess because Castro made it a little interesting when he, he came did. in for Taiwan Walker. He didn't get a Exciting. single out. Yeah, Yankee Stadium makes it interesting because you could score three runs in a second there. Yeah, a couple walks and a, a bloop and a blast, basically. And yeah. the or, bloop or is the home run. A blo- yeah, bloop and a bloop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bloop is the home run. But Familia, luckily, you know, cleaned it up for him because he's, he's also back from the IL. That's worth noting, too. But he's he's been pretty money this year. Your boy Drew Flo got in the game. We're the big Drew Flo podcast over here. And what do you know? Drew Flo, still a friggin' beast because that's what he does. I'm and happy he, the rest of the world has caught up to Drew Flo now. People are starting to give him respect. I like it. Uh, he's he's becoming one of the higher leverage guys. He's moved up to the A-team, I'm going to be honest. He is now like the caboose of the A-team in this bullpen. Yes, definitely. I think he's like gone ahead of Familia. Familia, they like to clean, like he, they give him cleanup scenarios. Familia Smith, is, they like a clean inning for. They like, Familia is like the, uh, the stress magnet. They give it to him. He accepts it. He's aware of it. He takes the role and he runs with it. He's like, I live in stress. Like yeah. I, that is my life. He goes, you I think exist. I, can't I exist this? right here. This is yes. where I want to be. This is where I'm going to be, and this is where you guys are going to let me be. And then the great thing I think to talk about is that Justin Wilson came into this game, and the Mets fans, the idiots, I'm calling you idiots, morons, who were crying about not resigning Justin Wilson. What What do you think now? The that's dude the, stinks. That's the bad take of the week. That was the bad take of the week. Yeah, people were so up in arms that the Mets lost out on Justin Wilson, who, keep in mind, was okay with the Mets the last few years. He had some big outings for sure, but that's the classic like anecdotal evidence over like the actual statistical proof. They're like, I remember he got that big out, got us out of a gym. Go, yeah, but he still had a six ERA. He still can't get a right-handed hitter out. He had a fine season last year and the year before. Good reliever. I don't want to defame Justin Wilson. He's a use. He could be a useful baseball player, but. This is the classic, the fan knowing more in the team, who has his medical records, who has his Trackman data, his Rapsodo data. They know every single thing. They know what he eats. They know when he sleeps. They know his family, his children, if he has them. And the Mets, for months, with a bullpen that people thought wasn't very good, thought seemed to be the Achilles heel of this team back in March and February, something we even fell victim to for a moment in time. They allowed him to walk away and sign with the Yankees for no money at all. This wasn't a, competi- this wasn't a competitive contract negotiation. This was this was Br- Brad Brock money. The Mets chose and said, "No, we don't want you." Yes, we will do other things instead. Plenty of other things, and all the other things work. We had Drew Flow. We didn't even know. 
But what Brad Brock, by the way, what happened? He was a Met. What did we just cut him like at the beginning of the year? What happened to him? Yeah, the Reds picked him up for like nothing. He has a couple saves. He was the closer right. for the last two weeks. Good for Brad Brock. Yeah, Happy he's in the him. he's in the Reds pitching factory. It's gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, just as we put the bow on this wonderful game one victory, Michael King really impressed me in mop up duty. Nice two seam. Yeah, he's a good pitcher, but he just can't seem to do it when people are watching him beginning of games. Because like, he's given length out of the bullpen, like, time and time again, especially in this mop-up role or, like, on Yankees bullpen days. But for some reason, when he starts, he just can't get it together. He just, I don't know, maybe he just has anxiety, he gets stressed out. This entire series is about the Yankees using their pitchers incorrectly, and this was the foreshadowing to Game 2. Yes, because Game 2, hoo-hoo, Garrett Cole on the mound, the sticky stuff merchant, that guy stinks. <laughs> oh, my goodness, he's so bad. Let's just give a quick little shout-out to what his ERA has been since June, which is, you know, the, the fake sticky stuff breakdown or whatever. He made his first start June 3rd. Since then, he has a 5.62 ERA with a whip at, like, 1.2. This guy is back to Pittsburgh Pirates Garrett Cole. He is no longer this MVP Cy Young candidate type pitcher. He is a shadow of himself. He still has that fastball at 99, but boy, can he not throw anything else. The fastball also doesn't have the same life that it did only a few short weeks ago. Like, he made a very good pitch to, who was it? It could have been McNeil. It might have been Guillaume with a couple men on early in the game. He fouled it off, yeah. Yeah, but there was also, well, he did strike out on one. It was like a dotted low and outside fastball. Yeah, which was like, I think that was, it was like two strikes. Good pitch, he had to swing. Yeah, yeah. Tough stuff. That's not, that's not Garrett Cole with sticky stuff. Down in the zone is not Garrett Cole. He's an up in the zone kind of guy, and he can't do that now because the RPMs are lower. Granted, Ron made a good point. He's like, over the grand scheme of like, how, however many feet you're throwing it, like it's really only a couple RPM that you're losing. Like we give these thousands numbers, but that's over like a, a big stretch of space where you don't see yeah, as the, many of that. RPMs literally stands for rotations per minute. Yeah. And the, the pitch is getting to the plate in like one second. Yeah. So like really you're only <laughs> losing like a couple rotations, but as it's shown with Garrett Cole and some other pitchers, possibly a guy on our New York Mets, that can make a difference. And Garrett Cole just cannot be... His strikeouts are so down. He can't pitch anymore like he used to. Shout out the StatCast broadcast for Game 2 yesterday because they just deliver incredibly interesting and thought-provoking information on a regular basis. And not only should ESPN only employ a StatCast broadcast, but every single local baseball affiliate should have some element of advanced statistics in their broadcast. But they showed the Codify graph between velocity and spin on fastballs that has been making its rounds around Twitter for the last few weeks. And Codify does a great job on Twitter. We've shouted them out before. Everyone should follow them because they've been updating this graph every like handful of days to continue to show the stark changes in spin rates. And while velocity has continued, spin has fallen off the proverbial cliff. And Caracol has nothing. This was his shore that starts in 2015 when he was with those Pirates. The Mets knocked out Caracol. Did you think that was going to be said before this series was happening? This game I had circle. I went, this is going to be the one where it doesn't matter that he's not using sticky stuff. He's going to dice up the Mets because we haven't been hitting. We knocked this bum out of the game. We, we created a furious comeback against him. We showed no fear in the eyes of Caracol. None. We did not Mets- waver. The Mets had a chance to be completely defeated. Like, Lindor made that error, caused the big inning, and the Mets were in a hole. But this team fought. I mean, we got screwed in this game, too, with Nemo being called out at first base. The instant replay of this series. First off, first base umpire, rough game in game two. Terrible job. But they missed the Brandon Nemo call, where he hit a chopper to Luke Voigt, 
and Luke Voigt, who's just not really much of an athlete, completely forgot that Brandon Nimmo busts his ass one and is also a good athlete. Two, tries to like beat him to first base, run it out for some reason, and throw it to Cole. Called out on the field upon further review, Brandon Nimmo is clearly safe. His foot touches the bag easily before Luke Voigt. Like, you, there's a reason we have instant replay and slow motion and you can stop things because you can see Nimmo's foot on the bag, Luke Voigt's above it. And they go to instant replay review. Joe West out in Secaucus is looking at it and he goes, ah, he's still out. Why have replay? I was so hot yesterday on Twitter. I put out like 10 tweets in an hour. I was calling out people. John Boy put out a dumb fucking tweet about how he was like, yeah, he was safe, but I understand why he didn't. No, you don't. You shouldn't understand. He should just be called safe. Like, that's the... Why have it? I was so hot yesterday. John Boy's going to come out with the great first base scandal in three days. How the first base in Yankee Stadium lacks a motion sensor. And I can prove it from these four videos over the last 18 years. Dude, I was and so tempted to be like, you know, uh, the first base call, a breakdown, and like tweet it out. But someone beat it to me, and he tweeted it out. He's like, oh, annoying Mets fans when I like say anything. It was like, dude... You have a platform. Get used to it. Like, people are going to call you out. You're one of the biggest guys. Like, get over it. Douchebag. Whatever. Said something stupid. <laughs> Said something stupid. That's just that's in John Boy's uh, bio. <laughs> Said something stupid. <laughs> but anyway, enough of my rant about the instant replay. Let's talk about the Mets because they did so good this game. We did so good this game. Before we talk about all the good stuff, I just want to get the Strowman breakdown out of the way. Let's have some fun. We had some fun with Garrett Cole. We're going to have more fun at Garrett Cole's expense. But this was... The most discouraging Marcus Stroman star of the entire year. It's very hard to pitch in Yankee Stadium. It felt like the ballpark was in the Mets pitchers' heads this entire series. And Stroman, from the jump, one, knew he had to give length, so he was pressing. And two, from pressing and being in Yankee Stadium, it seemed that he was just trying to place the ball rather than pitch. And he was really trying to be like as precise as possible so as to not make a mistake. And he didn't really make any glaring mistakes besides the split change to Higashioka, which I'll get to, but this was the longest start of Marcus Stroman's career without a strikeout, and he's, over the last two seasons with the Mets, which not including last season, has had the highest strikeout of any stretch of his entire career, so that's telling in and of itself, and he just so clearly couldn't put those off-speed pitches where he wanted them, or throw them with any type of ferocity whatsoever. Yeah, his slider was non-existent yesterday. No, it was dead. And that was his second most thrown pitch at 28%. But as what always happens with Marcus Strom when he's not feeling it, it's all sinkers. He threw 60% sinkers on Sunday. I can't even remember the days right now. My God. 60% sinkers on Sunday. He only got seven total whiffs. So between Taiwan and Stroman, back-to-back stars from two guys who were borderline all-stars. We had 13 swings and misses. Yeah, it's a little shockingly low. Michael King had more in his four innings of mop-up duty the day before. <laughs> Nine strikeouts in four innings. It was impressive. I want to shout it out. The funny thing about Stroman, of those seven whiffs, two came on his four-seamer, and he only threw two of those pitches the whole the whole day. Just throw that pitch a little bit more, Marcus. It's pretty good. Don't be afraid of the velocity. You're still getting good ride on that. And I say he's still getting good ride on that for the reason of Marcus Stroman's off-speed pitches have lost all of their bite. Yeah, and I kind of hinted it too earlier when I talked about Garrett Cole with the sticky stuff. It seems like Stroman, if we're going to be fair, Garrett Cole has had the drops in spin rates. You've also seen a very similar drop in Stroman stuff, and it also plays into the slider not breaking as much and some of these pitches not being as effective. We've seen it for a couple starts now. I think it's worth noting. I think... Stroman can get over it almost more so than a guy like Cole because he has the sinker. He pitches the contact. He only has recently become a swing and miss pitcher, so he's had success without it. But I think it is worth noting that there has been a drop there, and it's a little concerning. It is a little concerning. 
And not that we're holding the use of sticky stuff against anybody. We're making fun of Garrett Cole simply because he's on the Yankees. If Garrett Cole was a Padre, we would probably mention it for a half of a second in time and then make fun of whoever got bombed by the Yankees this game. But the one thing that Strowman has been leaning into since the sticky stuff crackdown has been that split change. And we've talked about it a few times in a row where he's been throwing in more and more to righties, something that you hate, change-ups, and I guess split it's change up and split there. It's the same thing here. Yeah, the know. reason I hate the change up to a righty, you you have to get it away. You physically have to. And if you miss, it's going to bleed out over the plate every single time just because of how you grip it and how you throw it. And when you're a right-handed batter and something bleeds out like back into you and it's a pitch that's meant to have you be out in front of it, you're kind of helping the hitter out a little bit because at worst, he's really probably just going to foul that pitch off. What makes like the changeup so good to a right-handed guy is when you get it away, they're going to either roll it over or just swing through it because they're just so far ahead of it. But when you get that inside, they're going to foul it off or what Higashioka did in this at-bat and hit a rope down the left-field line. Yeah, But that changeup to Higashioka did start outside and just bled to the middle where you kind of just lined it up on his barrel for him, something that would have been rolled over if it was like a backdoor splitter. But Strowman has had success this year, especially recently against righties, throwing that split change on the inner half of the plate. Because if you start that in like the lower quadrant of a right-hander's batter's box between like middle in, low and in, and middle, middle, middle low, it's going to be in an unhittable location. I think that was his intention. I think he wanted that pitch to start middle low and fade on the inside and just get a whiff with it. Because that has been Marcus Stroman's best whiff pitch over the last couple of weeks. On the season, that split change against righties has a 50% whiff rate. It's pretty good. It's really really good. good. And that has only been more recently because he just started throwing it to them. And Stroman is a guy who has incredible command. We know that. That's his calling card. His mechanics are pristine. They're repeatable. He's cerebral. That one just didn't execute. And that was kind of the story of Strowman yesterday. He was having trouble executing. And there were a lot of things at play. Whatever. The split change in general, the whole game didn't execute. He only threw it four times. He wasn't didn't seem comfortable with the pitch. All four of them were swung on against and all four were put in play. Yeah, he was just he was just a little off. And luckily for Strowman and the New York Mets, it didn't matter because this team showed up and boy did we hit. We hit early, but we really hit late. And that seventh inning. <laughs> Ooh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. First off, thank you, Aaron Boone, for getting the seventh inning started by bringing in to roll this Chapman after Chad Green pitched, which made no sense because Pete Alonzo was leading off the inning. So you could have thrown Green and you could have pulled him because after the inning ends, the three batter minimum rule no matter counts. So Chad nope. Green... Yes, it does. If you do start the next inning, it your counter remains. No. Uh-huh. So since Chad Green only faced one that batter... That changes everything. I feel yeah, dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they actually mentioned that during the broadcast. Ronnie mentioned that. That was one of the stupidest parts about the rule, that you can leave the game without facing three batters if the inning ends, but once you enter, once you come back onto the mound, it's not like get out of jail free. Then you still have to complete the three batters. I legit, I mean, clearly I legitimately didn't know that because I was like, how do you not at least throw green out there mm-hmm. and then yank him? But mm-hmm. now that makes a little more sense. Yeah, because you, you want to, get... to face Conforto, which didn't <sighs> matter because we saw that Chad Green could do anything he wanted to Michael Conforto in game two. Well, that was the other thing is like Chad Green owns the Mets. Every time this guy comes in, he dices us up. He's, I mean, one, very good. Yeah, but he's two, great. He owns he, that, most people. He dices up the Mets specifically. I don't know what it is. We can't hit him. But luckily for us, that schmuck garbage person, Aroldis Chapman, came into the game, immediately gives up a bomb to Pete Alonso. He 
just can't throw his fastball. Something's clearly wrong with Chapman. He's hurt. I don't know what it is, but he stinks right now. But he got two quick strikes on Pete with that fastball. The slider is the one that was hammered. I say hammered. It was Yankee Stadium home run through and through. But he just threw a slider basically right down the middle with two strikes for no reason. Yeah, and Pete hit it. He crushed it. Moonshot, as we said, the furthest ball I've ever seen hit. Really got all of it. It was so chill to have like a, a last inning comeback too, like over with the first batter. All the stress yeah. melted away. It was no like, Ooh, we're playing extras here. I'm cool with that. Like, we're tied with no outs against yeah. this idiot? <laughs> and he's struggling, and then we got good at-bats out of Conforto and McNeil. Mm-hmm. That put the pressure on even more. Mm-hmm. Chapman yanked out of the game, didn't get an out. That was Mm-mm. fantastic because yeah. that guy stinks. Well, he doesn't stink, but he does stink. Who cares? He's been stinking for a couple of weeks now consistently. Like, this is a real problem for the Yankees. Sticky yeah. stuff, too. Be the sticky stuff. Sticky stuff, too. He is, his decline has correlated exactly with the official crackdown of the sticky stuff in Major League Baseball. He's struggling. Yankee fans are freaking out. So, like, we we won at this point. The game's over. This Yankees team crumbled and gave up. And who comes up but our boy, the bench mob man himself, Jose friggin' Peraza, comes up to the plate, hits a ball to left field. Tim LaCastro, that pesky fuck, is in left. And I go... This dude's going to catch it. This dude's going to catch it. You text me and you go, what is that play? You're like slightly ahead. I go, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. The kid catches it and I go, this fucking kid, he just cost us the game. Me too. I thought they were going to call Peraza out and that we were going to have two outs still in the tie game with the man on third. Again, not being able to get a guy in from third base with less than two outs because McCann did make me sweat with that strikeout. That was, I was texting you very stressed out in the middle of this because Luis Rojas was just like, you get a pinch hitter and you get a pinch hitter and you get, he's like, I'm going to use every guy in the bench right now, every single one. Oh, my God. But, boy, did that work out. That kid saved us. Kid saved us. I mean, uh, he he did and he didn't because Tim LaCastro, like, upon further review, wasn't catching that ball. He was way further than we thought. You couldn't tell from the camera angle you get during the game, but when they did the side view, he was still, like, 10, 15 feet away from it. But, if anything, the Yankees might have caught a break there because it hit the wall. It would have hit the wall, and Tim LaCastro would have crashed into it, would have bounced away. Probably three-run score instead of two. But, hey, we got a nice 7-5 lead, second and third, and the Mets kept on going they pounded it they put the yankees to sleep put the yankees to sleep talk about being put to sleep i was mystified by aaron boone not even leaving the dugout to say anything after they immediately ruled a ball that was reached into the field of play calling called a ground rule double well aaron boone is spineless he's terrible he's I awful think, i think he actually has low testosterone he just stinks. He's like, I've said it since the day they hired him. This guy stinks as a manager. He's horrible. The one thing he is there to do is to relay the information that Brian Cashman gives him and then just basically be there to get ejected from games. He offers nothing. He's a bad manager. The one thing he's done in his career is we're savages in the box. And wow, this Yankees team, they sure are savages in the box. They really scare everybody at the plate. Dude, that's the same. That's also the one thing for John Boy's career. If that... If that never happened, we wouldn't be talking about either of these two guys right now. And it's funny because even the Yankee fans hate Aaron Boone. They hate him so much. I went to the ballpark on Friday night with a couple of our buddies, Calvin and Tyler, and it was just raining, so we never even went in the stadium. So we were just hanging out in the Yankees' like bars, which are what a time. It's a really fun time over there. I wish that the field was able to pull something off like that, where I know we have McFadden's, but it's still like $11 beers there at stadium prices. Like, I we think, need- unfortunately for us... By the time that that does happen, we'll be like 40, so yeah. it's going to be a little different. <laughs> but those are great places. And I was hanging out with my Yankee fan friend. Shout out Tyler Bowman, good friend for a long time. But he, 
fucking hates Aaron Boone. And then, thus, like, talking about Aaron Boone, someone else in the dugout was like, fuck Aaron Boone. Then another guy around the corner, fucking Aaron Boone, the guy sucks, get rid of him. They just hate him, and with good reason. Yeah, he's bad. He, like, if you're a baseball guy, you watch Aaron Boone manage, and you go, is he, is he sure he knows what he's doing? Does he, does he, is this his decision? Like, he makes so many questionable decisions, as he did in this game, and what do you know? It somewhat cost the Yankees the game. I mean, Aroldis Chapman has to go out there at some point and remember how to pitch. Like, he showed us at the beginning of the year he was dominant. He was unreal. I don't think that this game was any kind of function of Aaron Boone being a bad in-game, like, technical manager. This play with Peraza was just low testosterone Boone at his finest. It's a, my dad's like, it's the 4th of July. You can't give the get people a show. You can't just start screaming, start kicking shit. Your closer just blew the game. Especially because, like, your team clearly needed a little, like, little pep in their step. And I don't necessarily know how much teams actually do get fired up from their manager getting tossed or going out and yelling at the umpire. But I would think that you'd at least try. I mean, the Yankees are the walking dead right now. At some point, these are human beings. Like, I'd like to see someone with energy at some point. Like, damn, the, the Yankees literally traded for Tim LaCastro because they sold such little energy. Which is like, by the way, like, okay, I guess it's a fine trade because you get some speed, but that's also such a, like, bullshit way to fix their problem of hitting into double plays and stealing bases. Let's get Tim LaCastro, the guy who, like, one, doesn't really get on base very much. He's not much of a player, so getting him on base is going to be tough for him to steal. And two, that's one guy who would avoid a double play. And even then, if he hits it hard enough, you're still going to get him. They're major league players. (laughs) The Yankees just, they're the slowest team I've ever seen. No one in this team runs at all, or even, like, remotely well. Even in that, ah, when inning was it? It wasn't the seventh inning. It may have been the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. Lindor hit, like, a dinky single into right field. And DJ LeMahieu looked like he had cement blocks in his shoes chasing it. This guy won a gold glove two years ago. Ron and Gary both were like, Ron, I think, goes, did DJ LeMahieu lose range? He was like, how did he not get to that ball? And this is something that I talked about on Twitter when the Yankees were rumored to be signed DJ LeMahieu. First off, really didn't want him on the Mets, whatever. That being said, I was like, with DJ LeMahieu and the Yankees, I was like, they might be better off not signing him and going and getting a like legitimately good young player right now. Could have gotten Marcus Simeon for a year. They could have gotten him. They're stuck with DJ LeMahieu for, what, four or five more years? Yeah, I think five. At an affordable rate, I think it's only $18, 17000000 million a year. But... It adds up when you have Stanton's contract, when you have Aaron Hicks. These guys all in the books are not people that teams are going to want. And at some point, the Yankees are going to have to move Glaber Torres a second if they want him to even have a shot at being a Major League Baseball player. They're going to have to get a shortstop. Gio Urshel is going to have to get paid. Judge, they've got money coming here, and they're spending it on the wrong guys, it feels like. And every single guy you just mentioned can't fucking move. Like, these guys aren't even athletes. They're really not. Judge is their best athlete, and he's friggin' 6'10". <laughs> he can't slide. Judge is not allowed to slide. If he slides, he, he misses the next day. He's like a reliever. Damn, it's, it's kind of painful to watch this team play. I feel bad. I can't believe I feel bad for the Yankee fans, but I feel bad for Yankee fans who have to watch this filth day in and day out. Like, Fuck them, they, I don't feel bad in the slightest. We've, we've flipped now where, like, the Yankees are the team with, like, the, like, are the trainers the problem? Like, we're looking at these, like, bizarre issues. Like, is this holding this team back? This is great, natu- great natural light coming into the studio right now. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, so- the <laughs> light of heaven is shining down on me as I'm getting to spew hatred on the Yankees for an hour. Like this is this is what I live for is when the Mets beat the Yankees in a Subway Series. I like that we started this episode like, yeah, well, this will be a short one, only 23 innings of baseball, and now we're like, oh, the Yankees can't move. <laughs> well, it's because we as Mets fans have only had such finite time where we can just go at the Yankees and like. 
we have the upper hand. We're punching down for once. When have we really punched down ever as Mets fans? It doesn't happen often. That, that's why I feel bad for little brother. Like, I don't want to kick them while they're down. Like, I'm, oh, not, a, I'm not a petty guy. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so petty. <laughs> I will be the pettiest of petty. I've been holding back all year because I've been very focused on, like, Mets, Mets, Mets were good. I'm not going to take, like, unwarranted shots at the Yankees like I have in years past because we have a good team now. I have something to focus on and be happy about. But now that we beat this team, oh, Mark's back. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take shots. Like, the thing that I texted my dad about the Yankees when I was watching this game, I go, they just play bad baseball. They don't do any of the little things whatsoever. They play god-awful defense. They don't even shift properly. How have the Yankees so missed like this whole analytical movement they seemingly have no clue who to get who to scout what players matter they chose brett gardner over mike talkman in what world in what world do you choose brett gardner mike talkman has hit 170 with the giants who've taught everybody how to hit so like there's probably better guys they've missed like obviously garcia or Adolis Garcia, any other Garcias that I could possibly mention right now. But at least Talkman's like a good fielder and like a, he's good out there in the outfield. He can run faster than like 25 feet per second, which no one on the Yankees can do. It's fucking shocking. But I've had this conversation with you off air because we've never talked about the Yankees. Like you said, there's no reason to focus on the Yankees. But the Yankees were at like near the top of the analytics movement about five years ago when they were one of the only teams who both had money and thought analytics worked. Like they weren't like trying to be like snooty or like keep their nose in the air against like teams like the A's or like the Rays beginning to really get into it they're like this is real like we need numbers we spin rate like all this stuff like I remember they had they're one of the first teams that like had a trackman available to every single player in spring training and they were having like very intricate pitching lessons with like pitch by pitch um what's the word and this is huge to Chad Green's development, too, because he was an early, early spin rate guy. And what do you know since then, since they've started emphasizing it, he's been really good. Yes, but now that we've moved past just the proliferation of analytics into like the booming revolution of it, and a team like the Rays has been able to pass the Yankees without spending any money whatsoever, the Red Sox, since they hired Heim Bloom, have what... That, they, got ten, they got a 10-game lead in the AL over the Yankees. That's my magnus opus, that Bloom was going to turn that team around less than a year. Alex Verdugo has better stats than Mookie Betts right now, and this is unbelievable. But now even the Blue Jays, over the last couple of years, have shown that they're one of the leaders in player development in baseball. And now the Yankees are spending less money, and it seems like they have stopped really developing their analytics staff and really don't have the type of data and information that most other teams have accessible to them. And that almost that entire division has passed them by. Yeah, it's, they're plateauing. It's shocking to see the Yankees not innovating, giving the resources they have, but they just have not. Like, And I think this builds into what is inevitably coming this offseason because I think unless the Yankees actually win the World Series, which right now they're not making the playoffs, unless the Yankees win the World Series, Brian Cashman's gone. And once he's gone, I would hope for Yankees fans that Hal Steinbrenner is going to bring in someone who has a clue. Brian Cashman, seemingly not that guy. He is living off the coattails of that 2009 World Series. He's got to go. He's just not good. Cashman has put some great teams together over the last half decade. Like, I'm not going to take away from some of the good Yankee teams, like 2017, 18, and 19. Like, they were very competitive. Those were teams that were knocking on the doorstep of a World Series. He didn't have the balls to actually make the move to ever put them over the top, which is kind of funny, talking about the Yankees in that way. Like, he just, he just didn't have the sack to do it. And he kind of got the ace that he needed once the prime of a lot of these guys ended 
and he just got the rug pulled out from under him with John Carlos Stanton because the guy literally can't move. Like I don't, I, I don't even know if John Carlos Stanton can like power walk. Like he also just doesn't look very good. No, he's not really that good. He loves a good hard ground ball. Loves it. He has that stupid swing still where he's like completely closed off to the plate and Let's chops at quick it. Wrist. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, look at this guy. Look at this peak physical beast. Oh. Mets win. Mets smack the Yankees. I mean, Yankee Stadium was silent. Well, it wasn't silent because there was lots of Mets fans there. I was about to say it was jumping. But the Yankees fans, I should say, were silent. A lot of Yankee fans looking into their, you know, looking into their laps of like, how did we get here? What just happened? How did we get here? The game three real quick. Yeah, I mean, game three, the Mets, it was a weird game one because you had Oswalt going up against Nestor Cortez Jr., who, let me just say this, fuck Nestor Cortez Jr., for no reason other than he's fucking annoying, but he's he's taken his very mediocre stuff and found a way to use it effectively, and that way is just being essentially a bullshit pitcher, doing his little pauses, his little struts, his quick pitches. Like, he has no shame. He will do anything to get an out, and I respect that from like a teammate standpoint, but fuck this guy when you play him. He's annoying. There's no reason he shouldn't be getting shelled. No, but the Mets were coming off such an emotional high from the first game yesterday that it didn't feel like there was going to be much left in the tank for the second game. We just like busted it all out there. Like it was, that was it. And like, not that you should not care that the Mets lost, but I didn't care what happened in game three. We won the series. We came back. We bet like that. We ripped the hearts out of Yankee fans after they had the Angels thing last week. I was on cloud nine. I was drinking beers, watching fireworks. The game was in the background. Beer, fireworks, baseball, America. America. Yeah. yeah. And we also, we've just had an inability to get sweeps this entire season. Like, it seems like we, this team is, like, steeped in emotion. We are. Like, you can just see the way that we oscillate mentally, like, on a series-by-series, even a game-by-game, possibly even an inning-by-inning basis sometimes. Dom had a crazy quote last week after the Braves series that we didn't mention because I just heard about it a couple days ago. But they were like, you guys aren't hitting. Like, you're not playing great baseball. Like, what's going on? He's like... Not worried at all. Like, it's going to happen. We know we have the hits in us. Like, it's coming. We got a lot of baseball left to play. And he kind of got killed in the media for that. But in a way, I kind of believe him. I mean, Dom showed it in his play alone this series. His OPS has casually climbed up to 730. And by no means is that good. But Dom was, like, hovering around, like, that 630, 640 range just a couple weeks ago. And after a good series, you know, in the Bronx, he's had some hits, some home runs the last couple weeks. His OPS is climbing closer and closer to that 800 level, which we would really love to see him at. It started during that Cubs series. He just like started to hit the ball better. And the at-bats weren't fine, but he was getting results. And sometimes you kind of just have to get lucky in baseball to get hot. Dom got lucky. Dom got lucky, and this week it like he got that luckiness, which gave him the confidence, and he finally looked comfortable at the plate. We'll talk about Oswald real quick, because he's going to continue to fill a role for this team. Like I'll be an unspectacular one, but we need innings, especially with the news of Peterson being out for just two months. Sure, Easy. whatever. Why do lefties on this team just, just die without us knowing? Nah, they have no interest in pitching a full season. <laughs> no, none, none whatsoever. So everyone get used to Corey Oswald because we're going to be seeing a lot of him. He looks fine, serviceable. He's okay. He's, he'll have a 5 ERA and be okay doing it. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't like Corey Oswald. I've always been very much against using him. But yesterday, I don't feel like he lost us the game by any means. Four innings, three runs in Yankee Stadium. I'm cool with that. Keep us close. That's really his job. 
Five innings max. He gets the Lucchese treatment. No way in hell he sees the third time through the lineup unless, like, we physically need it. We have no arms to throw. Corey Oswald might just have to go out there and eat some. But he did fine. I'm happier seeing him out there than Jared Eikhoff. So, in that regards, it's a win. But it's going. there are going to be some stressful games watching him pitch, and you're going to see a lot of angry Mets fans. But who who else are we going to throw? There's nobody else. You can't throw Zabuki. Can't go him. Zapucky, yeah, can't go him right now. And we got lucky with McGill looking so good. So our fifth starter being Corey Oswalt, it's not going to be what I want to see at the end of the year. But for now, I think it works until we figure out who's going to fill that spot. And all of the runs he did give up yesterday were the, just a bullshit Yankee Stadium home run by Giovanni Urshela. Yeah, which is going to happen. Like, he's, he's not a huge strikeout pitcher. He is a little still pitch to contact-ish because he just doesn't have that stuff. So when you're playing in Yankee Stadium, all it takes is a little soft line drive to right field and you can get a home run as we saw with Gio. And I'm okay losing like that. Like, whatever. Sometimes you just lose games. And this felt like a game that the Mets just lost, which I'm okay with. There wasn't anything that made me go, we missed this, we missed that, we, we had this one and we blew it. The Mets just lost. You're going to lose some games in a season. It happens. <laughs> yeah, you're going to lose some games. 162 of these things. And it was interesting to see that loop struggled a little bit, but I guess it also makes sense too in that park against a very right-handed heavy lineup. Not a great matchup for him, but he also just needed to throw one and two. Got to use somebody that didn't pitch the game before. Brian McCann just organized his entire organization around hitting Aaron Loop. (laughs) (laughs) This, This whole lineup is designed to hit Aaron Loop. Yes, and Castro didn't help by getting the wild pitch, but he also then kind of cleaned it up a little bit too, so he looked better. The big thing though, Trevor May, who we've been talking about, he is a man of just all over the place, but he's back to being nasty again, which is awesome. He low-key could be an all-star. His full season stats are incredible still. Like He's top five in strikeout rate, K-minus walk. There was another one. Whip, he's I think top ten. He's lower whip than Edwin Diaz right now, under one. The guy is awesome. He's not like... Like, I don't want to say consistent because he is consistent when he's consistent. It's not easy, like I don't know, from a full season perspective, but I feel so comfortable watching Trevor May try it out from the bullpen right now. When he's on, I'm not worried. It's just like once you start to see that little sliver of him being off, you go, how long is it going to last? But when he's clicking, like he comes in and go, okay, we're good. Move on to the next inning. He better throw some high-stress innings over the All-Star break because he seems like he needs to pitch to pitch, as simply as I can state that. That week that he took off seemed to fuck him up a lot back in May or early June, whenever that even happened to be. These months are all blending together. Just get that guy has to get onto a field. He's got to put headphones in with like crazy crowd noise and just throw gas to an empty backstop. Yeah, he's been showing a lot of emotion too, which has been I love that. I love when a pitcher gets fired up and he he gets fired up. So I appreciate that. Uh, Pete home run in the game, second home run of the day. Pete slowly coming back. He's weird because he's been extremely streaky this year, but since coming off the IL, which I think was May 31st, he's hitting 275, which is way higher than I thought it was going to be, 343 on base, 517 slugging, so that gives him an OPS of about 860. That's really good for Pete. That's where I feel like he can slot him in. Like That's a career number for him that I think I'm comfortable with. When you say about 860, do you mean exactly 860? Because if you add... 343 to 517, that is 860. Damn, man, that South Carolina (laughs) education paying off for me on the podcast. Nine homers, 24 RBIs, 34 games. Small sample size, I hate doing this, but sure, let's just do it. If you take that over a 162-game season, that's 43-115 with an 860 OPS. That's pretty, I think, realistic to expect from Pete Alonso. Like, he's maybe not to 275 average, that's a little high, 
But I think around like that 840 to 860 range OPS-wise, 40 homers, we can slot him in for there. So yes, while he's been struggling, he's also still kind of playing good. He's just, he gets in those weird funks for like two games. Yeah, he still is, he still is a young player. As used to Pete, as we become, and as crazy success as we've seen from him, he is a young baseball player. He's, he's played just slightly over 200 career games now. He's still learning how to be a professional. He's still learning how to control his emotions on the field which he's not really that good at at times. So no. he's going he's gonna to have some spin. but He's essentially in his sophomore season still, too. And yeah. like that's always the biggest, like, that's the where slump. you find out who you really got. Yeah. That's your slump season. That's what took Chris Coughlin out of baseball. Pete's hanging around. He's doing pretty well in the season that everyone's adjusting to him. Chris Coughlin so, hung on for a lot longer than you're giving him credit for. Chris Coughlin well, was a major league player probably like 2015 still. Yeah, but he wasn't doing much. <laughs> No, but he was there. He's getting paychecks. Okay, <laughs> he, was, fair, he was providing. You're right. I was harsh on Chris Coughlin, but he wasn't the rookie of the year that he once was. <laughs> no, he was not. Same like Brett Lowry. That's when he fell off the proverbial wagon. Gordon Beckham, Alexi Ramirez. The list goes Alexi- on and on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jonathan VR came off the IL. Uh, looked terrible. That's about it. Really looked, bad. So bad. That was a uh, Jonathan VR week kind of were worried about but it's his first game off the il no i i know now we know the jonathan vr experience like he's gonna play tonight and just have like four hits yeah he's gonna be all over the place tonight i so, think maybe just like you should have left him in syracuse for the whole weekend instead of rushing him off, off the il for game two for some reason like just let them let jonathan vr be jonathan vr yep um big story though chad green pitched three innings in relief and we had no idea how to touch him no <laughs> clue <laughs> The balls on Aaron Boone for using him in the second game after using him in the first game of a doubleheader, cool. Like, it really works. When he came in the game, I was like, are they just going to let Chad Green finish this game? And he just, and they let, did. He just let Chad Green finish the game. <laughs> yeah, they let him finish, which was funny. Uh, sneakiest Mark, immaculate inning of all time. He's, yeah, I mean, like, but that's Chad Green. He's, yeah. like, the sneakiest good reliever of all time. No one talks about this guy as a top reliever in baseball. He just is. He's top ten. Yeah, he's really good. He's fantastically good. That's one of the one of the things the Yankees have done well. Maybe we could trade for Chad Green as the Yankees sell off the deadline. That'd be imagine we get Chad Green. That's not gonna happen, but that'd be sick. I'll take him. I'll take him in a heartbeat. We'll trade you uh Zapucky. You can have him. Yeah, we got Thomas Zapucky for you. I think it's worth noting that you talked about a little earlier the Satcast broadcast because we were on ESPN for game two. Um, A-Rod stinks. I tweeted out about it, and this is actually so funny because I tweet out, A-Rod's intolerable, especially when the Yankees are on TV. A lot of people were like, you could just stop that A-Rod is intolerable. Like, that alone would have been a great tweet. But I thought what was funny was not even 10 minutes after the game ended, Stroman was on Twitter, and he liked my tweet immediately about A-Rod being intolerable on TV. So I thought that was really funny. Stroman, you like my tweets so much. Drop me a follow, guy. I know you see them. Give me a follow. What's going on? It's like the 15th tweet of mine you liked. I don't even tag you anymore and you like them. <laughs> also, come on the pod, Marcus. We'd love to talk to you. We have, we're going to have an opening on All-Star break uh, week, so hit us up. Uh, well, hopefully you'll be busy, actually. Hopefully you make the All-Star team as like a reserve or something like that. But my other point here, StatCast broadcast with Petriello, Eduardo Perez, and Benetti, significantly better. If you are a baseball fan and you have the option to watch the StatCast broadcast over regular Sunday Night Baseball, watch it. I had an enjoyable time watching the Mets on national TV. Haven't been able to say that in a very long time. No, it... They are able to fill the void that you lose having the um the authenticity and the 
I don't even know what the word is. I guess authenticity is a fine word. The authenticity of having the local broadcast. Like the real small town feel you get from listening to Gary, Keith, and Ron who know the Mets in and out, who love the Mets, who root for the Mets. Same thing with uh, your boys in San Diego or Silo. Same thing with, um, I don't know, I think the San Francisco guys are pretty good. John Miller. Yeah, they're great. And Dwayne Kuyper. The guys yeah. in Toronto are good with Shulman and Buck Martinez. You yeah. got the Boston guys who are great. Like they're, The Boston guys are great and authentic. Like these guys yes. are Boston. Like that is what... I love about watching local baseball. And StatCast is able to fill the void with meaningful, thought-provoking information on a regular basis. It's so apparent how well these guys prepare for this show that they do, that this people on. And it's very entertaining. And anyone listening to this podcast, we inundate you guys with stats. Stats that we think are interesting and pertinent, and those guys do it so freaking well. It's such a pleasure to listen to them. Yeah, if you have any interest in what we say, you're going to really love the StatCast one. Petriello, like they, they were breaking down the whole spin rate thing because a lot of people know that the sticky stuff was an issue and know that the spin rates were going on, but you don't know what it really does. Broke it down beautifully that the spin rates, it, it gives the perceived rise on a fastball, which is huge because as we know, hitters are struggling with the ball higher in the zone more than they ever have before. That's something that's important, especially with launch angles too. They also brought up how people need to stop saying that it's a launch angle swing because launch angle swing, that's not a thing. Launch angle is a metric to calculate how high you're hitting the baseball, but it's not a way that you're teaching people to hit. You're not like, you need to hit this launch angle. Like it's so brain dead, but that's the kind of stuff that you can expect. They talk about baseball. You want to have a baseball broadcast. You watch the StatCast one. You want to hear about A-Rod and quoting Joe Torre every five minutes or Matt Fascursion stealing our fucking question about <laughs> Taylor Ham to Mike Trout. That Asshole. guy's dead to me. James, I hate that guy. Little off topic here, but I need to rant about it because no one knows about it. YouTube game of the week. They're doing the Angels. Mike Trout gets on the mic. YouTubers get to ask questions. Matt Fascursion didn't take a single question because that guy stinks. Gets to talk to Mike Trout every day, by the way. He's the Angels national or local broadcast guy. Past the point. I put in a question that James told me to put. Ask him if Mike Trout says pork roll or Taylor Ham because he's he's a Jersey guy and he's more South Jersey. We knew what the answer was going to be, but we thought that's a really good one that people would enjoy. Matt Fascursion starts talking about food and goes, hey, by the way, Mike, you ever give Shohei Otani Taylor Ham? Matt Fascursion grew up in Oakland. He doesn't know what Taylor Ham is. He stole it from our question in the chat. So Matt Fascursion's dead to me. I'm not watching ESPN broadcast Sunday night anymore. Stack cast all the way. No, he's an asshole. What I like to do when the Mets are on Sunday Night Baseball is actually pause my television for a few seconds early in the game. I'll stay off Twitter or I'll tweet like sparingly just at the ends of innings so I don't get anything blown from me. And I'll time up Howie and Wayne with the broadcast like over like a Bluetooth speaker because A-Rod is intolerable. It's awful. And just to say one more thing about Petriello and Eduardo Perez, they don't talk about this information in an intimidating way that will turn baseball fans off. Like they make this very easy to understand. They're very articulate, precise, and just so enjoyable to listen to. They also did I haven't watched many ESPN broadcasts as I've mentioned this year. They had the um the pitch sequencing in the top corner of the scoreboard. That is such a cool detail to add to a broadcast. Like to understand like we went fastball, fastball, change up fastball to know what's going to come next, you know? It makes you understand the game, what's going on so much better. And there's so many things that broadcast does well. So many. It, it gives you information that helps you watch the game. We're watching the regular Sunday night broadcast. They're talking about A-Rod, you know, ah, oh, yeah, me and J-Lo broke up recently. I don't care. Not important it's to the game. talking about free agency. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Shut up. Yeah. It's it a was, game going on. The amount of times in the two minutes that I watched that A-Rod's like, Joe Torre once told me 
that small things can make big things happen. I was like, wow, what an insightful quote from a terrible manager, Joe Torre. Who crazy. <laughs> Met. He's a Met. He's a Met still. He's a Met. I don't give a shit. I don't care about Joe Torre. That guy sucks. That Clint. dude stinks. He did nothing to Chase Utley. Fuck Joe Torre. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Fuck Joe Torre. He was a player manager. The, play, the, the, uh, the concept of player manager has been lost in the last 40 years of professional sports. And damn, that's the coolest thing ever. Frank Robinson, Joe Torre, Bill Russell. Like Pete seven. Rose. Yeah, Pete Rose. <laughs> Pinch hit himself a couple times. Like, I'm taking this, boys. <laughs> well, I mean, he had some action. What's he going to do? Would you trust anyone besides yourself to get a hit with the game on the line? <laughs> or not get a hit in Pete Rose's case, maybe, too? Allegedly. Allegedly. No, no proven. Moral of the story, Mets beat the Yankees. Subway Series win. Two out of three. Mets are feeling good. And we're going into a Brewer Series, which... Fuck is going to be hard. Yeah, yep. This Brewers team is sick. They're so good. My World Series pick at the beginning of the year. I got some shit for that on Twitter. I think you texted me yesterday like, damn, they're really good. Which, I I had them as my NL Central team to win. I had them in first place in my predictions to start the year. I wasn't riding as high as you, but they also got Willie Adamas, who's been huge for them, which I also didn't realize. Willie Adamas hated one hitting in Tropicana, and two, his numbers outside of Tropicana are good. Yo, very good. His home road splits are always great, and the Brewers are a savvy team. I referred to them, to you personally yesterday, as Rays North, because they are that good with their analytics staff. They find diamonds in the rough at a higher rate than any team besides the Rays. Just the fact that the players they traded for Willie Adamas were absolute cast-offs previously. J.P. For, for, for Ryzen, Fire Eisen, who at at, like, general eye level, doesn't have any kind of um, thought-provoking stuff, whatever. And Drew Remusen, who was, like, um, basically a quadruple-A, like, failed starter for a while until the Brewers worked their magic with him. Willie Adamas, not very long ago, was a top-25 prospect in all of baseball. The guy has pop. He's an exceptional defender. And he had those road splits. And that's just a layup for a team like the Brewers. And especially when most of the hitters in Tropicana struggle. Because it's such a weird place to hit. You can't see anything. It's bizarre. The batter's eye stinks. The catwalk is ridiculous. It's muggy. Like, it's such an awful ballpark. And this Bruce team's got some magic right now. Adams has 900 OPS since the trade. Yeah, no, he's he's a good player. He's finally showing, I think, what the race thought they were going to get. It's just simply Tropicana, like you said. But the matchups here also... A little scary, because this Brewers team, they can pitch. And if they get a lead, it is going to be really tough. Like, we talk about the Mets hitting relievers. You're not going to really hit the Brewers relievers. They are some of the best in baseball. No, and the my players to watch this series is just going to be the entire Brewers bullpen as a whole, because these guys are disgustingly good. I mean, Josh Hader is the, still the best reliever in baseball. Him and Edwin, I think, are the only two guys who've thrown. I lost a stat. I had yesterday a lot, but they're... They've thrown, like, the most innings in baseball without giving up home runs this season. They're incredible. Devin Williams, while he struggled to start the season, he still has pitches that I've never seen anyone in the world ever throw before. Brent Suther, as he's transitioned to a bullpen role, is very good at, uh, at limiting hard contact. They have gotten something out of Brad Boxberger, which, like, seven organizations have not been able to do that. Trevor Richards has been throwing meaningful innings to them. They just acquired Hunter Strickland, who just still has some decent stuff. They called up Aaron Ashby, who started the other day and was pretty bad at it. I don't know if he got sent back down. He may have, but the guy's stuff is ridiculous. He did get sent back down, yes. He did, yeah. The Brewers are a crazy good team. Keston Hura has come back up since he was sent down for the second time. And again, he's a guy who struggled with high fastballs. 
As spin has been lost on these fastballs, he has been much better since the call. His K rate is down below 30%, which is a huge deal for Kesson Hira, because he even had MVP caliber stats when he was striking out more than 30% of the time. This guy is a natural talent. He's an unbelievable hitter. If you play fantasy baseball right now, especially in Dynasty League, get your hold of Kesson Hira, because the stock the stock is going to shoot back up soon. Luis Urias, who was part of one of the worst trades in the last five years of baseball, which is funny as we give the Brewers all this credit, they got they got completely duped in giving up Trent Grisham after he botched that uh, that ground ball in right field in that game wild card game against the Nationals. But the guy they got in that trade, Luis Urias, has been playing very good baseball of late. He plays good defense at three positions on the infield. He has plenty of pop, like fantastic I player. I think he'd have the most home runs in the Mets with ten. By the way. I know, but Pete has 11 now, right? Or oh, yeah, he has 11. Yeah, yeah, whatever he's got. But, like, Luis Rios, who is not a home run hitter by any means, he, like, he was a top prospect, but it was because of his fielding, mm-hmm. his speed, and his ability to hit for contact. He's ditched hitting for contact, and he's just going power now, and he's become a better player. Definitely. Also, Avisaya Garcia, who is just, like, one of the most athletic players in all of baseball, which is crazy to say. That but no one knows about. He's a specimen. The guy's a freak of nature. He's just bounced around teams that didn't really give a shit about him at all between the Rangers and the Rays. And the White Sox. And the White Sox. Yeah, I did forget to start out with the White Sox. But the guy can hit the ball really hard, run really fast. He plays good defense, and he has an absolute cannon attached to his right shoulder. He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy to watch. And, it's, and we haven't even talked about Christian Yelich yet, who has been inching back towards like real Christian Yelich over the last couple of weeks. This is a good team. These guys are the class of the National League, in my opinion, especially as Denilson Lamette still works his way back, Blake Snell seems like a shell of himself, and Chris Paddock is up and down, and no one knows when Trevor Bauer is going to pitch again. This Brewers team is really, really, really good. If the Mets want to compete in the National League, we have to take this series. That's going to be difficult because we're facing Brandon Woodruff later tonight and Corbin Burns on Wednesday. And those are Luckily, two- we do have Brett Anderson sandwiched in there who I think can join our group of pitchers that we might be able to hit. Oh, I would Anderson, take I would take in a bat off Brett Anderson 100%. Brett Anderson, Chase Anderson, he's essentially left-handed Chase Anderson. One they're of the, the same person. Brothers. Yeah. yeah. But they're the he, same person. Just being on the Brewers, he's been able to be a like a, a fine starting pitcher for like 4 years running now. And they do the smart thing of like 5 innings, get out of there, the bullpen takes over. That's yeah. all we need from you. And it's funny that while we're facing two of the best pitchers in baseball in Game 1 and Game 3 of the series, we're just gave to ground the Brett Anderson day. Yeah, yeah which, which is cool. nice because, you know, we'll get hopefully get a nice win there. We should. going to be a tough series. The Brewers have just had the Mets numbers, I feel like, the last few years as yeah, well. Yeah, because they're, like, really smart, and they've yeah. done all the things the Mets have not been able to do for years. Now the Mets are smart, so I think we'll be more aware of what's going on. Like, we will be shifting, thank God, yeah. as everyone knows from watching Mets baseball this year. The Brewers are smart, though. The Brewers don't get the credit they deserve for being a marquee franchise in Major League Baseball. No, Craig Council, really good manager. One of the better organizations in baseball. Tough series. Me and James might be going to one, two, maybe three games. Who knows? Yeah, at we'll least one for sure. 100, we're 100% going to see DeGrom on Tuesday night. Yeah, so if you're at the game on Tuesday, come say what's up to us. We'll you know say hi, talk to you guys, whatever you want to do. That's pretty much it, though, for this episode here. Episode number 29 of the Mets Up Podcast. Mets beat the Yankees in the Subway Series. Brewers Series coming up. Lots of good things here. But it's going to be tough this next few weeks. We've got the All-Star break coming up here. Big series against the Brewers. Let's well, take two of three. Let's get through this Brewers Series three games, and we get seven against the Pirates. Yeah, well, I, well I'm like, let's get through these Brewers one. Let's win it. Let's mm-hmm. get two out of three here, and then we can maybe coast a little bit into the All-Star break. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so. Yeah, and there's, for the listeners at home, we're going to have an MLB draft preview coming on Wednesday. Mark, our preeminent draft expert, official, sanctioned Major League Baseball scout. 
Yes. Mr. Credential over here. We're going to have some great information coming at you. We also dropped some messed up merch on... That was we did yesterday, right? This is such a long weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah, yesterday, Sunday. Yeah, it's a little, little bench mob stuff. Cool graphic. Also made by Mark. Really, really thought-provoking cool cool stuff. If anyone likes The Godfather, a little play on that. So check it out. We'll have it up on Twitter. We'll have it as our pinned tweet mm-hmm. if you're interested in that. Otherwise, that is going to be the end of episode number 29. Thank you guys so much for listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube at Metz Up Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Metz Up. I'm Giraffe Neck Mark on Twitter. James Jeter had no range. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you for episode number 30 after the Brewer Series. Peace out. See you later.